Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Photography Chat with Merlin. Uh, we're on episode 33, this time with Alex um, Labber. Let's try and get Alex in here. Okay. Hey everyone, happy Wednesday. Hope y'all are doing all right. I'm not too bad. Was um, feeling a bit tired earlier. Oh, here we go. We got Alex on. We'll invite him in. Happy Wednesday, everyone. Howdy. Howdy. How's it going? Oh man, I I feel bad a little tiny bit. How come? So, uh, I was, like, feeling kind of, like, tired and a little bit dizzy, so I was just like, I'm just going to have a little tiny bit of a nap. I'm going to set my alarm clock for 4.30, and I'll totally wake up, totally on time, to, like, be totally on time for the show. And um, instead of setting my alarm clock for 4.30 p.m., I set it for 4.30 a.m., <laughs> And um, didn't wake up until you called on the Instagrams. And I was just like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know what it is. Um, just, like, super wiped today. It's one of those days. It's a rainy day. Yeah, it is totally a rainy day. Like, um, yeah. I don't like the rain. I was a little bit bummed out because I, um, I was visiting with um, Henri um today and we were supposed to play with the 8x10 and do some like 8x10 polaroid but um he was like it's too rainy to take the 8x10 out so no 8x10 today Ooh, that's, fair. that's fair but he he did give me this like really lovely photo print that he made the last time we hung out oh man it's so fancy Oh, nice. Yeah. Is that from the 8x10 or a different camera? Um, no, so this one is on a, um, a Fuji GF670. So it's like a, it's a really freaking cool camera. Um, it says Fuji, but it's not made by Fuji. I can't remember who fucking makes them. Maybe Bessa? Um, but it's like it's a folding medium format camera so it's like a, a six by seven medium format camera that uh folds up and it was pretty cool um he hadn't used it since like 2018 or something and we were like having coffee um in july and he was like oh check this out and he pulled like film out of it that had been in there for a couple of years and He's like, oh, this is the first time I've shot a roll in it. 2018. Nice. <laughs> yeah. He's an interesting cat. Yeah. Yeah, I remember you talking about him last time we went for a photo walk. Seems like yeah. a cool guy. Yeah, very, very cool. Um, yeah, lots of interesting stories. But anyway, how's your week been going? 
It's been good. It's been very chill. I haven't had any like very serious work in a few weeks. So I've just been uh, doing my own thing, which has been delightful. Nice. Yeah. So still coming into the studio, still plugging away at uh, still lifes and stuff like that. And it's well, I guess that answers one of the, the questions. Do you ever leave the studio? <laughs> Sometimes. Sometimes. Less so mentally, more so physically. <laughs> That's fair. It's like, do we ever leave or escape things? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's I'm there now. <laughs> this was um, from earlier today. That's, that's Shlomo, the dog. Nice. Yeah. I have to say why the Polaroids from this camera come up so yellow all the time, but they're pretty fun. Just from that camera? It doesn't matter about the pack of film or anything? It seems to be just from this this camera. Um, so it's the OpenSX70 one that I want to come experiment with um, yeah. at the studio sometime. Um, yeah, they seem to, like, all have, like, these were all ones that I've shot with it. They all have kind of like a, a yellowish tinge about them. Hmm. But... It's analog, so it shouldn't be adding color to to anything. Um, yeah, so it's very strange. But this is the board that's going to let me take photos in your studio with it. You Wild. Plug the wireless trigger into that, and then there's just yeah. like plunks on top of the, the camera. So I'll have to buy it. Like, it's also been really hard to find color Polaroid film lately. Like, um, I don't know what it is about, like maybe Vancouver or whatever, but I can't find color 35 mil to save hmm. my life. And color Polaroid is uh, also very hard to find, which is weird. I feel like there's always some at the, uh... Hastings London Drugs. Oh. That said, I only ever get Polaroid from Anika, and I never really check the rest of their film stock. But That's fair. I thought you were going to say there's always film in the banana stand, but... Yeah. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be fun. So you, you've got kind of like a... Well, shit. Let me dial back. I'm all like discombobulated. Sorry. No worries. We should... Um, take a moment so that people can learn a little bit about you for the, the ones that uh, are not familiar with, uh, with who Alex is. Yeah. So am I doing that? Or are you doing that? <laughs> um, let's uh, I, I mean, I'm pretty sure you, you would know yourself well. So I, I think like, uh, <laughs> I, I, I love you run with it. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> uh, so I'm Alex. I am I'm a professional photographer. I mainly do fashion photography and things like that. Um, but in my spare time, I really enjoy experimenting with abstract photography and still lifes and sort of, uh, I guess, archival processes, but looking at them through new lenses. I'm really curious about the digital technology side of photography. Um, and then, as Merlin mentioned in the bio, I run a studio called Doris. Um, this is my second studio. I had one for 10 years before this, 
over on Hastings called The Remington. And out of these studios, I try to keep them accessible to whoever needs to come in and shoot stuff, but I also love throwing shows, usually punk and experimental shows. <laughs> yeah. I think that's me, as far as I know. Yeah, I mean, I think the math checks out. I uh, forgot my crib notes, so um, I, can't, uh, I can't contest any of your points there. So, yeah. <laughs> um, how long have you had Doris now? Um, just past two years with Doris. Nice. Yeah, it's been a journey. It, the first six months or so were just renos. When I got the space, it was like a giant abandoned warehouse. Though I think you said that you had been in there for like a barber shop or a gym or something. Yeah, so I came there to get a haircut from my barber at the time yeah we had to go upstairs and then downstairs um because the storefront for the 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 front wasn't open so yeah go that way and so we went upstairs and it was like this kind of sketchy looking gym um and then he went downstairs and it was just like a real retail graveyard and then some barber chairs yeah totally that about sums it up I can't believe that anyone ran this space publicly before any renos were done. Like when I moved in, it was grotesque. <laughs> People worked out there. So. Yeah. <laughs> got to do what you got to do. Yeah. I mean, it is Chinatown. And it, it has like, um, I don't know if I'd like to work out there because there is a very um, distinct odor of sorts around there that I just yeah. don't know if you'd like to be huffing and puffing <laughs> that in. <laughs> it's generally medicinal, I think. I tell myself. <laughs> but it's, I don't know what you've done, but it's a lot better now than, than before. Yeah, so totally. You only, like, uh, only really notice it when you're like walking up the steps and then it's like basically gone after that. Yeah. Um, so for those of you who don't know, I'm on the second floor and my landlord uh, runs a dried goods store that has like tons of medicinal stuff. Um, every so often he gets a shipment and the smell is very fresh. Um, and I, I don't mind it that much, but it's definitely can get funky. Uh, but the, what I actually really enjoy, if you're in the back room in my office area with the windows open, there's an incense store across the alleyway and every so often it just kind of like you get this amazing loft of incense and then there's a butcher which on good days you get barbecue on bad days you get rotting meat there's a fishmonger it's it's a real sensory experience well it's chinatown you know yeah exactly it's it's not only a visual experience but it's also like you know great for the olfactory senses totally it's um it's just a treat for all of your, your body parts, just to experience Chinatown in Vancouver. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely, um, there's more smells in Vancouver Chinatown than Toronto Chinatown that I remember. Yeah. Because hmm. they, they don't have as many of the, um, the dry good spots. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I always wonder who buys that shit. Especially because, like, within our, like, I don't know, six-block Chinatown, there's 
at least three or four of these dried goods spots. Yeah, I just, uh, Michaela says, all your senses are activated at Doris. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so how did you get into the, uh, the studio game? Uh, really fell into it. Originally, so I came out of um, working in the film industry. And the way I did that was actually working on a documentary in India for a while. Um, and when I was were there, that was India the first the time. Sorry? So you were in India for a documentary? Yeah, so I finished film school and I've been doing a few like random odd jobs. And then one of my mom's former students was working on a project in India and was like, oh yeah, I'm trying to put together this documentary. And I was like, well, it just so happens. I know how, I thought, as a 19-year-old. Um, so I went to India and brought my first digital SLR along with the video equipment and had way more fun shooting photos than... Uh, the video side um, and then when we got back because we didn't really know what the hell we were doing we kind of just dropped the documentary but I kept up the camera work um, I ended up taking a few night school courses to just kind of flesh out the photo side of my understanding of stuff uh, and while I was there I met someone who was running another studio the Remington and she invited me to join up just like as a one of her renters and about two months later she said she was no longer interested in did I want her on the studio. And I figured, fuck it, why not? And then here I am. <laughs> yeah. And then now you've got Doris under your belt. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I definitely wanted to do the uh, photojournalism thing and then kind of fell into the fashion and product world because of the studio. That's a real, like, big difference between those two kind of worlds there going from like photojournalism into like the, the fashion side of things. Yeah. I think it kind of made sense for me because my background was in cinema and other than that one documentary had always been doing like music videos, advertisements. I always wanted to make feature films and stuff. So the idea of studios with lighting and uh, building a world from scratch just, just made more sense to me than going around on photo walks. Like even when you and I went out I think you took a million photos and I took a total of six. You, yeah, <laughs> I, I haven't, I can't remember if I sent that off yet or not. I think I did, but I'll try and track down. I can't remember if I got that done at the place here in Vancouver or with the downtown camera. Yeah. Yeah, but I did, yeah, you, you took like seven photos and I think I shot like two rolls of film. <laughs> yeah yeah it's funny i got so into um studio work for such a long time and then when i finally went out and started trying to do street photography again i'd go to a place with this clear vision in my mind and then when it didn't appear i'd just get frustrated and leave as opposed to like going out and just seeing what the world itself has to offer I've gotten better now but but you just you want to see that that vision you have in your mind a lot of times yeah exactly Interesting, because I'm sort of the opposite, like, studio something that I just started doing right before COVID, which was perfect timing. Um, <laughs> and it's kind of the opposite for me, because, like, I like to just, like, wait and watch for, like, the world to happen. And um, so it's, like, doing the studio stuff is a little bit different, because I don't picture it, like, that way, or, like, doing the world building stuff. Yeah. 
So that's interesting. The, that kind of approach. It was still a fun photo walk, though. Oh, yeah, it was a great time. That grass-eating dog was so weird. <laughs> Just would not let up. Yeah, we were we went for uh, for some beers to this um, strange fellows. Yeah, and someone had like a some kind of bulldog that just kept eating this like wheatgrass thing, and it had to like yeah. jump up, and it was just like, yeah, dogs, they're funny. Yeah, the Barbara, um, that's my uh, friend uh, Barbara from. Um, Saskatchewan. That's right. Um, she, I ran into her at the Jason Lee thing in Boston. We were one of two Canadians that um, were in Boston for the uh, the Boston View event. It was nice. fun. Yeah, that she sounded rocking, fun. She was rocking a pinhole camera. There was a some interesting folks there. Like there's one guy that went on the photo walk, and he was rocking a um eight by ten on a photo walk like it was just wild like he was just walking around with it over his shoulder um i thought that was like an interesting power move (laughs) both mentally and physically yeah yeah just it kind of makes you wonder like you know what what uh what people think when they do that stuff whatever you're into have you ever, I read this book ages ago called Into the Void, which was about the first Everest expeditions. Um, and it goes like, it goes way back into British history and why the hell people wanted to, had to summit the tallest mountain possible. Um, but talks about all of the, the mapping of the area, I guess, because back then they didn't have satellites, they couldn't fly planes over it, all that kind of stuff. So these like insanely burly teams of people were hauling eight by tens and 16 by twenties with glass plate negatives up to all these super tall mountains. So they could just take the panoramic shots and map the Himalaya that way. With a glass plate. Glass plates. Yeah. Cause it was pre easy to use film or I'm sure like the cold weather would have cracked old film and stuff like that. And it was a hell of a read. Yeah. And you couldn't really do like tin type or any other ones there. Cause a liquid yeah. would freeze. Yeah, exactly. I couldn't imagine that, like lugging that up and into those areas. And right, and then you're wearing like woolen canvas and all that kind of stuff. Just two hundred pounds on your back to go take a photo of the mountain range. Now, a guy will just go up there in his Patagonia jacket with an iPhone 12 and just be like, "Click." Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> The question is, will it look better? <laughs> um, I, yeah, I mean, that's that's a fair question. I, it could. Um, yeah, like that, that's a... So I think that that's an interesting segue to um, a project you were telling me about, your, your AI photo project. Yeah. Um, which is, is kind of a, a neat one. I think there was a couple samples that, that you sent that I shared in there of uh, the AI stuff. And... Um, I'll, I'll let you run with uh, describing that one. <laughs> sure. Uh, where to begin? I guess we could go way back. So like I said, I used to throw like experimental shows and stuff like that. And I've always been really curious about the materiality and the processes of photography. 
like when I first got into it, I loved black and white darkroom stuff. I had my own darkroom and I found uh, the printing process as important, if not more important than the photo part, especially when you start messing with the chemicals and you start getting really weird reactions out of it. Um, and then when I was working, doing some of these experimental shows, a lot of people would play a totally normal instrument, like a violin, but then they'd process it in such a way that what came out of a beautiful instrument would be the most intensely harsh noise. And I thought, mm. could you do something like that with the camera? Um, so I did a series of photos called Fail Point, where I would take like high-end digital equipment and just push it as far as I possibly could with like ND filters, f-stops, ISOs, stuff like that to just create these insanely noisy images um, and see what was left over from there. And then when COVID started, I started thinking about digital technology like replacing us. Like I was definitely not sure if I was going to have a job on the other side of that. So I started to learn to code to see what type of digital vision you could create through uh, neural networks and stuff. And that's where I'm at now. I'm working with a coder in uh, Pakistan who's helping me write this stuff because it turns out you can't learn to write a neural network in a year. Um, but I'm getting close. I spent the most of today and the last week just like compiling data sets of my own images, images I've called from the internet. Uh, to see what I can do with running those through different processes. Starting to get some neat stuff. I'm really excited by it. That sounds really exciting. It, like the, it, it seems like there's a lot more people that are experimenting with like that side of photography as well. Mm -hmm. um, like I've seen a couple of things pop up online. And then um, Beck and I were having um, some brunch by Honeybee the other, or at Honeybee the other day. And there was a group of photo students that were like taking pictures of people in that little um, sort of garden space next to Honeybee. And um, their whole thing was they're taking portraits of people and then like running those photos through an AI engine to have a computer assimilate and then recreate its own version of that photo, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So I'm kind of curious to see. Um, how that's going to turn out. There's a lot of neat stuff like that. There's a hilarious Instagram account I uh, follow called Bots of New York, where someone has it calling humans of New York, and then it'll mash the faces together, but it'll also mash the overblown dramatic stories together. Oh, weird. It's delightful. It also is amazing how dark it gets. I think like the human side is really stripped away, and it's just like a machine revealing how dark our lives actually are. I mean, we, we do get a little bit dark and it's interesting too, like seeing, it's not just being like old and jaded, making you a bit dark. Like I was um, visiting with some family in Kamloops the other week and I was having breakfast with my niece and nephew and uh, I was showing my niece some like old videos of her from when she was just a baby and um, their old dog was in one of them and my nephew's like oh I never got to meet him because he died and then he's just like one day I'm gonna be dead and then I'll get to meet him and <laughs> that's good optimism which <laughs> is kind of interesting he's like five yeah and his sister's like whoa that's dark and I was like you're 
you're seven. How do you know how to use that in the right context? <laughs> it was just, it was dark and it was yeah. also kind of funny. It's like, bro, you've got a long time to go yet. You know? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of life left before you're gonna die and meet the dog that you never got the chance to meet. Yeah, yeah. Brian says yes. Humans suck. <laughs> Except for Brian. Brian is a super mensch. There you go. Not suck. In, unless you ask him, he might, if, if you know, so inclined. <laughs> Brian's one of my favorite peeps. Nice. Yeah. So when it's rainy in Vancouver, how do you occupy yourself here? Studio, man. <laughs> My old studio is even better because it had no windows. So I'd go in and it could be the sunniest day or the coldest day and I would not care at all. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. And I, yeah, because you've got lots of really nice light indoors. Yeah. Yeah, front and back windows over here. I do have the one space that I set up to be pure dark uh, for the, the technical lightings and stuff. But Is that the, that's the middle space? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah, it's a very cool space. Um, yeah, I like to experiment with that a bit more one day, for sure. Yeah. Well, like I said, anytime, bring your cameras. I will definitely be taking you up on that, for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I... Oh, what? Sorry. I spaced out, and I totally lost track of my thought there. Um, Rain. So a lot of the work you do, is it primarily in the studio or do you get out and like explore and do some shooting out in the wild? Um, I think it's mainly studio, but I am getting out more and more. A lot of my clients are starting to want more outdoor photography, um, which is a lot of fun, especially if we do start to incorporate some of the studio lighting into the outdoor stuff. Um, for some of my personal projects, it is really sort of exploring aspects of Vancouver, um, especially the changing in-between areas like construction pits or where plants are starting to kind of take back over, things like that. Um, and then a lot of the fail points work that I still pick at every so often is location-based. And there I'm just like looking for specific lines and shapes and stuff like that, reducing the city more to the abstract than, uh, than normal street photography, I guess. That'd be pretty cool. I'm just trying to picture now, like, nature taking Vancouver back. I don't think it would take much, really. No, not really. <laughs> like, Especially so if it's blackberry bushes. <laughs> oh, man. Fuck. They are evil sons of bitches. Yeah, totally. Like, so I'm still, like, healing from some... Um, blackberry wounds. I didn't realize they were so goddamn stabby. And we went out to Iona Beach to take Onus for a walk. Yeah. And we took like the, the long way around and then we're coming and um, we were all getting a bit hangry and it's like, oh look, blackberries, let's eat some blackberries. And I was in shorts and flip-flops and I got tangled up in a couple of the blackberry vines and it just like tore up my legs and like my feet and yeah it was like blood and stabbing all over the place yeah yeah, yeah. i was just on a bike ride out there and same thing we uh we were trying to find routes that didn't involve the road so we kept taking these little paths 
and the paths were just slowly getting more and more overgrown by the blackberry bushes. And when we came out, we all had punctured tires and we have like touring bikes designed to not pop for thousands of kilometers and they all popped. And then uh, my buddy had a stick fully stuck in his leg that it took two people to rip out. <laughs> oh my God. So, uh, yeah. Morgan calls it tasty murder vine. Yeah, that sums it up pretty good. They are delicious. <laughs> they are. Not the, not the red ones, though. You don't want to eat those ones. Those yeah, not so much. They're a bit sour and mean. Hey, hey. It's like, Brian says you got to go tubelet. Yeah, I plan on upgrading to tubeless tires. My tires are capable of it. I just haven't swapped out the wheels themselves. Uh, that's fair. Yeah. I have not gotten into the fancy bike life, but Brian is a very fancy bike guy. Nice. It's a good life. Gets you to a lot of interesting places. I did. I, I have a bike. I bought one when I moved here, but um, I've only taken it out a couple of times. So. Or the cat says blackberry murder vines question mark mind blown <laughs> so many emojis <laughs> it's it's really beautiful out there though um and i, it I think is. uh ryan who's uh used to use remington a bunch um he he shot out at iona a few times and um says it works really well as a uh a backdrop to uh, to shoot from. Yep. Yeah, and it keeps going forever, like both along the shit pipe itself as well as there's those side paths out to those beaches that just, we got bored. <laughs> Stopped that, walking after a while. Is that what that pipe is? It's a poop pipe? Oh, yeah, man. That's why it smells terrible out there if you're at the wrong time. I thought it had something to do with the um, shit, the sawmill. Oh, nope. Wow. That's the city of Vancouver running under your feet. <laughs> I mean, we all poop, um, so yeah. can't judge too much there. But yeah, it's um, that was oddly triggering. <laughs> um, I used to work at uh, at Northern Health in Prince George. And I got put on a special project um, and my boss locked me in the basement for like eight months to work on this project in this area that we lovingly dubbed the poo lab <laughs> as the desk there was right next to the sewer main for the building. And um, after working down there for eight months, um, I started to be able to like decipher human packets what do you mean? <laughs> well, when, when it became like lunchtime, you can like tell what kind of food some people ate, like heavier food, softer food. Like it's, they all have different sounds when they're coming down the poo line. <laughs> um, yeah, it was. I'm sure there there probably could have been a workers' comp claim there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I see why that was triggering. <laughs> yeah. And that was just on a very small scale. Like that was maybe like a, a hundred or so people in that building. I couldn't imagine a poo pipe for millions. That's, uh... But I do remember, 
so I grew up in Kimberly, this little tiny mountain in the Coonies. Yeah. And one of the field trips that, you know, because it's a small town, we got excited for any kind of field trip, was we went to the poo plant. And we were like, yeah, we're field trip. And it's like, why are we excited to go see where they process poop? Like, that's kind of weird. Um, but one thing that I'll never forget, <clears throat> there is this big open channel where it's like the poo slurry would flow down before it gets processed and it was just like all of the raw poop before it starts going into the different processing bits of the plant yeah and someone thought it was really funny they, they had a bunch of like steel like the threaded steel bar coming from the ceiling they had four of those steel bars coming down that attached to this platform and on the platform was a bright red toilet seat with a sign on it that said, um, for emergencies only. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> and I was just kind of like, you really got to go if you're going to like crawl on top of the main poo sluice and, uh, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Drop a deuce into the mother country. <laughs> yeah. Like, what if you fall in there? And then that brought up a whole bunch of questions on, like, you know, how safe it is if you were to end up in there. And it's not very good. Yeah, I don't doubt it. Even if it's been sterilized at that point, probably don't want those sterilizers on you either. No, no. All of it is kind of weird. Yeah. And it's, still, it's interesting because, like, you know, it's also kind of funny that we got onto such a shitty conversation, hey. but um, I still get weirded out by <laughs> game over if you fall in there. And Brian <laughs> says we did that in my small town in New Jersey. I mean, he also wants a photo, and I second wanting the photo. <laughs> I'll have to see if I can can sneak in there. I mean, that was like fuck, like thirty odd years ago. At this point, it might not be there anymore. Um, but I'll try for you, Brian. Um, I have to commend people, though, that, that work with, with poop on the daily. Because, like, I could never be a poop smith. I don't got what it takes to be a poop smith. And I'm in a basement suite now. And um, my suite needs a um, poop elevator, basically. Because, like... I'm below where the sewer main for the house is. Mm. There's like a tiny little septic tank just from my suite that every once in a while, there's a really loud, aggressive noise that like shoots stuff into the sewer main. And it broke a little while back and made this god awful noise that was a little bit terrifying. Um, and we had to like get a poop smith in to come look <laughs> at it. And uh, he was a very interesting man. His name was Cloud. And he looked like smelly from no effects. And um, he just like got right in there. Like no gloves, no nothing. He just like crawled into this poo tank and he's just like giving her. Yeah. And, uh, I kind of wanted to high five him, but also not. <laughs> I wonder if people like that ever get sick. Like are they always sick or are they so have such an incredibly strong immune system that they're like, virus Pfft, whatever yeah i don't think like he seemed very healthy yeah but he also had some like interesting like interesting tats and stuff and 
I feel like he could probably win any kind of drinking competition. Yeah. 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 And so did he come out clean on the other side? <laughs> um, yeah. He, no, he didn't really. He ended oh. up having to like, um, use our sink in the laundry room to have a bit of like a, a sink bath with some dish soap. Um, yeah. But it was also kind of in, in sync because like plumbers. I mean, if you can handle poop, you can make some good fucking money. Yeah. He did like 15 minutes of work and it was like a $300, um, $300 bill for like 15 minutes. Totally. Yeah. And now I know how to fix it but I'll probably still call a poop smith. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. I think uh, with the studio, I did like 90% of the renos, but I stop at water just because mm. like, even if I'm swapping a faucet or something and there's a huge leak, that is way more damage than I want to deal with. So I'm okay with that side. Clean water, I'm fine. I can swap taps, um, do like the, the shower heads, things like yeah. that. Shower head I can do, but it's also in a shower, so it doesn't matter if it spills everywhere. Yeah. Um, it's just when you get into, like, the gray water and the black water. Yeah. I'm just kind of like, no. Yeah. Um, anyways, that was a fun segue. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> we, we do it a little bit differently on, on the chat. And Morgan yeah. says that he loves that I'm referencing the poop smith. Is the um, poop smith a thing? Yes, so um, there was this internet sensation for a while called Homestar Runner. Uh, oh, yes. Before, before YouTube was a thing, which had the uh, strong bad emails. And um, there was like all these different characters like uh, Homestar Runner, Strong Bad, The Chort, um, Coach Z, The uh, King of Town. And one of the characters was the Poop Smith. And the Poop Smith was just a very sad, grim looking character that was donned with like large plastic gloves <laughs> that went up to elbows and um, big rubber boots. And uh, yeah, he did a great job. <laughs> Yeah, that definitely, if none of this conversation aged me, that would. Uh, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, me too. I haven't thought about Homestar Runner in a long time. Man, I used to, like, just love waiting for the emails, the strong, bad emails. Yeah. It's time for another email. <laughs> Back when the internet was still good. <laughs> was it, though? Was it ever good? A little bit. Okay, yeah, I think, like, but I think the problem with the internet, and this could be, like, a controversial hot take, is people. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, so it's just, like, you know, guns don't kill people, people kill people, the internet isn't a dirty place, people are just dirty, and there's so many of us on the internet, um, but you don't need to even be on the internet to be a dirty person. Like, uh, Henri was telling me a story today about this guy who um, repaired cameras for um, lots of people. And uh, he's this old surly German guy who liked to just watch pornography while working. 
And so you'd be in his workshop and there'd just be like this little screen off to the side that's just playing German pornography the whole time. And um, if you asked about it, you would hear the merits of German porn versus all other porn. Cause, wow. Connoisseur. Yeah. Yeah. Because, um, you know, ain't but no at least German porn. Because he was not on the internet, he was keeping his his bullshit to himself as opposed to people who get on the internet and then just start infecting the minds of everyone around them. Exactly. You know, it's not like he had the daily vlog of like, you know, here's my camera pair slash German porn hot takes. For the- <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like, you know, this is my review on Two Girls, One Cup. Ooh, deep cuts. <laughs> For those younger people out there, <laughs> that just don't just you know, yeah. add that to the list of things to never Google like broken mason jar, blue waffles, yeah, none of those things ever. Yeah, those are cursed internet searches. Yeah, the dark side. Very dark yeah. side. Um, the thing that's whack though is the people that made Two Girls One Cup are still actively making movies. Those, those ladies... Like, that of that genre? Yeah. It's wow. kind of like their thing. And they, they never stop. So it's just like, that was just the start. And it just... Yeah. If you got a thing, you might as well stick to it. Yeah. Like, I mean, we all have tasks that we're really good at. Um, hobbies. Skills. And uh, when you find your lane, you just got to stay in it and go full throttle, kind of like Guy Fieri. Totally. Yeah. Or like photographers who specialize versus like jack-of-all-trade photographers. That's that's exactly Jack. (laughs) And we're back. (laughs) (laughs) Kat is curious about all of the books behind you. I am a big nerd and I have a ton of photo books. My dad was also a big nerd and also had a ton of photo books, so I inherited a fair number. Uh, My wife is also a big nerd and had a ton of photo books, so they've kind of ended up here. We both love magazines, so I guess a tour. Top shelf is magazines. Then we get into the oversized stuff, which is like some of the fashion big things. A lot of this zone is portfolio pieces we've done. Uh, then we come down into like this awesome collection. I don't even hear. <laughs> <laughs> Exciting. This amazing collection of vintage uh, encyclopedia of photography stuff, which is, I haven't read most of them, but I, every so often I flip in and there's some great stuff. I see some I, Kodak logos on those ones too. Some which? Kodak logos. Yeah, they're all put out by Kodak, these guys. That's cool. This was an awesome collection of, uh, of books where essentially they'd like choose some photographer and they'd make an entire book about their process from like some technical stuff, theory, tons of beautiful pictures with it. It's, these were some of my favorite uh, starting out for just, I don't know, can you hear Am I showing it or am I like aimed at the no, table? No, you're showing it. <laughs> Good. Yeah, those ones were great. Uh, some of my faves. Do you all know Sally Mann? Speaking of like glass plate negatives. No, I'm I, not familiar with them. 
So Sally Mann is possibly my favorite photographer of all time, and her process involves um, hand-painted glass negatives. Uh, she did a series that was super controversial because it had naked children, but it was just her kids growing up on the farm. But like, okay, she shoots with uh, 16 by 20 or 8 by 10 or bigger cameras, all hand-painted glass negatives and all like antique lenses so you get these amazing vignettings going on this book deep south is um all about slavery and the civil war and stuff so she goes to a lot of locations uh from that history and they're just like these incredible ghostly images if you do nothing or if you get nothing from this talk just like deep dive sally man for a bit because her work is just incredible uh, what else do we got up here? Movie section, my history of movies, some artsy fartsy stuff and design, and then just like photo, 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 and vinyl, because I'm an audio nerd as well. Gotta have vinyl. Gotta have vinyl. I love me some vinyl. I gotta fix my turntable. It's decided that it only wants to work out of one um, channel, so... Sometimes it's just like the wires on the head casing. You just got to wiggle them a bit or like lick the back of the head casing and you're all good to go. I think it's, it's the actual um, RCA jacks. I think they might have gotten um, janked up on the move. So I ordered some new ends, but I'm waiting for some solder to come in because I have a soldering iron and I have all the things, but I don't have solder. So well, There you go. <laughs> yeah it's fun and there's more at home it's uh it's great it's super inspiring there's also so like i said i'm really into magazines and just to give another plug to another great thing there's a service called stack magazine um and every month they send you a different independently published magazine and you'll it's always different um recent ones there was one all about the fine art of bathing. There was one all fine about dogs. Bathing. Yeah, it's called Hamum. It was great. <laughs> it was a very relaxing read. Um, yeah, it's a great thing. I've been with that service for, I think, three years now and have a whole bunch of great magazines from that one. That's really cool. I'll have to check that out. I do love a good photo book and stuff. Like um, Yeah. I, I've never seen the Kodak version of those, uh, those manuals, but um, I scored a whole set of the Life series. Yeah, like, totally. Yeah. Yeah, that was kind of a cool uh, Value Village find. They're neat. There's some, like, nuances to it and ideas that you just never think of. There's one, I don't know if it's here, but... Uh... There's a Leica manual, which had things about exposures and f-stops that I've never heard about before. I've heard good things about the Leica manual. Um, that's cool. Like, what kind of things did it go over? Can't remember. <laughs> it was a while back. It was just, like, on the coffee table, and I flipped open. It was like, what? And then moved on in life. That's totally fair. Yeah.
I can't remember most of what I did this afternoon, so um, <laughs> I right? can't you for not remembering that. Yeah. Yeah, but I love photo books. Uh, I got a great one. I remember with um, Monika, you were talking about Nobuyushi Araki and the Japanese photo movement, and I've been yeah. collecting or trying to collect as many of those as possible because it's just such a fantastic thing. Like going back to the process, the films they use and all that kind of stuff and the outcomes that would arise from having such limited access to materials and then that desire to create photo books because that was how like ideas were spread at the time. It was just fantastic. Yeah, where is it here? Um, Kat says, thank you for the tour. We'll definitely look up Sally Mann's work. Yeah. And she's been really inspired by collages lately, so magazine subscription is very intriguing. Um, and then Barbara says that she has the Life Series, too, and that her Art 16 photo prop made them watch the Kodak videos on VHS. Nice. <laughs> Man, I would kind of be interested to watch that, like hearing people from like imagine probably like the 70s or 80s with like that sweet sweet production from that time too yeah you how to take photos that'd be kind of interesting that'd be great yeah I love though that there question. is that bizarre sub genre of like old photo books which are how to pose and they just have they're just weird <laughs> have you ever seen any of those no i have you have um, some of those ones in your collection or? I think I actually unloaded them because they were just so shitty, but I must have kept something. They might be in a box. There are at least four large boxes of photo books kicking around here as well. Yeah, I'm not seeing any of the how to pose. That's fair. Next time. So what's been your favorite project or photo adventure that you've done so far? Um, from my uh, commercial side, recently I did a four-day shoot for Arcteryx. Uh, it was a winter lookbook shoot, which is coming out uh, winter. Um, and for that one, we had... It was great. It was... A bunch of friends on the side of a mountain with a bunch of photo gear um, and we were essentially building a studio so we had big black flaps to block out the sun as needed we had strobes to fill it back in um, it was such a blast I'm, as you probably picked up by now I'm very into the technical side so give me some numbers to play with and then I'm having a really good time and just a lot of good creative energy a lot of laughter and then for my personal stuff, I'm stoked on the AI stuff. That's cool. I'm really curious to see like where your AI practice goes. It sounds really unique. Same. It's fun kind of relinquishing control uh, with that stuff. Just putting in whatever I can. And then at the end of the day, I have no control about the final product. Yeah, like that's kind of an interesting thing that the concept of like giving up control and like, you know, almost like the whole like Jesus take the wheel kind of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I feel like that's part of the appeal of analog photography as well, because like you might get a weird film or a weird chemical or, or just the chemicals you choose to work with. Yeah. So like I just did my first shoot in Vancouver since I moved back um, yesterday with um, with Paul. It is a tiny bit nerve wracking because I shot film and I have no idea if anything is going to turn out. <laughs> so it's just like, I shot a couple rolls of film. I did take a couple of Polaroids so we wouldn't leave empty handed. To all of you watching, how many of you still shoot film? Hit that like button. Subscribe. Yeah, smash that like. What's <laughs> up, guys? Um, here. Yeah, these are a couple of the Polaroids that, that had turned out that I need to scan. Yeah, there we go. That's a lot of likes. Oh, nice. Yeah, they were on their motorcycle. Yeah. In front of City Hall. Is that um chelsea yes it's just going for like a, a james bond kind of look yeah totally that's sweet yeah the polaroids turned out well so it's like if i fucked up the film at least we got a couple of polaroids yeah there's a some a pack film shot and yeah, the pack film was pretty fun to mess mess around with. On this was I did this double exposure that was kind of neat. Nice. Yeah. I love how Polaroids can do double exposures now. Yeah, it's very cool. Like this was with the old pack film camera, so mm. it's pretty straightforward to do it because you just kind of um, you just keep cocking the shutter until you finally pull. The, oh really? Yeah. Um, so how many people we got here that said they? There were a ton of hearts while you were talking. Okay. One person said they still have a film camera. Morgan says still has a film camera, but hasn't seen use in a long time. Yeah. We'll have to talk about that in your episode, Morgan. <laughs> I'm with you, Morgan. <laughs> Though I might be picking it up again. I've been. Uh projecting film into the backgrounds and onto surfaces in some photos and I've melted most of my old slide film so I need to reshoot some things. You melted it like through yep. the projector. Yeah, exactly. Oh shit. Yeah. That looks kind of cool, but hopefully you have scans of the the stuff. Yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Um yeah, I, I haven't really mucked around with slide film very much. I think mostly because, like, of a, a patience thing. I just haven't really... Why do you find slide requires more patience or less patience? Um, well, now it doesn't really matter so much because I have to mail all my fucking shit to Toronto and then wait for it. But before, I didn't really like doing slide because if I did black and white or C41, I could see my photos that day or within a couple of days. Um, but for E6, 
um, all that stuff would get sent off to Montreal to Borealis. Mm. It's like at least a two week turnaround. And I was like, two weeks to see photos. Fuck that noise. Nope. We're going to cross process forever. <laughs> Which always leads to like muddy disappointment. I don't know. I think some cross-processing can be cool. Uh, something I've always wanted to try, which I think is more a cinema film thing than anything else, is bleach bypassing. Have you ever seen that done? No. So what do you do with bleach bypassing? It's literally, as the name suggests, skipping the bleaching step, which I guess is either in cinema film or in, uh, or in e, e slide film, whatever that is. Um, but what it does is it kind of makes, I guess, light bleed in a really weird way. Huh. Like uh, my favorite example is in the movie Domino, which isn't necessarily a good film to watch overall. But there's a scene where Tom Waits is met in a desert. And that entire scene is bleach bypassed. And he's in a black suit, black hair, and he just has this like black glow around him for the entire scene and everything's like the shadows are just leaking into the light everywhere it's such a neat effect huh i've never heard of that before i i do like cross-processing sometimes um but it really depends on the film yeah when i've done it with ectochrome it's always been disappointing um but when i've done it with egg for chrome I kind of like it more cross-processed than I do regular E6. Yeah. Um, so it all depends on that one. And then Barbara's asking, does both photo do developing? They do not. They no. send their stuff off. Um, I didn't know that. I didn't know you could even drop it off there. Why haven't you gone to the lab? They just seem too expensive when I look at their, their menu. Um, you know, for what they charge to do scanning, I, I just haven't been able to bring myself to do it. Their, de their dev cost is quite reasonable. I think it's like yeah. for the development, but it's like 20 something for scanning. Yeah, the scanning's um, pricey. Yeah, and I'm just like, you know, for what they charge for scanning, it's still cheaper for me to send my stuff to Toronto and have them do it. And I just, I like the lab in Toronto um, shout out to Downtown Camera. Y'all are the real MVPs during this COVID. <laughs> um, I, I miss that place a lot. Um, and just also like the, I, I didn't, I didn't realize how for granted I took the ability to like go out in the morning and wander around Toronto and shoot a roll and then like slide into the store before one and drop it off and then like that afternoon see the photos that I took that morning and yeah I, I just kind of like definitely took that for granted it was just like oh yeah I'll always be able to do that no yeah that's funny yeah I've always had like a week turnaround for everything so that's just how I live my film life that's totally fair um like it's um what is it? Oh man, total mind blank. Um, sorry about that. Um, 
one of your questions from the thing. Oh, ABC Photo. Yeah, ABC Photo is still processing as well, too, um, I believe. But um, not to throw shade on them, but they scratched like three rolls of film one time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, and Rocket Repro is also scratched some of my stuff, too. So, yeah. I mean, their price is good and their turnaround is decent, but it's also you kind of get what you pay for situations. Um, yeah. But one of your questions in your story was, do I hate Photoshop? <laughs> yeah. And um, yes, no. I like Photoshop. I'm okay with Photoshop because I'm old. I hate Lightroom. I hate Lightroom too. Yeah. but like, It's terrible. I use Lightroom, but I hate having to use it. Lightroom and having to edit photos in general when you're shooting digital is um, why I fucking hate shooting digital. Because um, like with film, because I know the types of scans I'm going to get back from downtown camera, um, if I'm going to shoot film for different fields and whatnot, I just know what stock I need to use. So it's like as long as I use a specific stock and I don't fuck up my focus or exposure, the shots will come back the way I want them and I don't have to edit them at all. Yeah. But if I'm going to shoot digital with someone, then I'm probably going to take like 400 photos and now I have to sift through all of those and find the like 20 that I like yeah. and edit those ones and then hope that they like the edits. And whereas like, I just shoot two rolls of film and it's like, boom, there it's done. And I just put them in a Dropbox folder and send it to the person and I don't have to think about it. So yeah, I like Photoshop, hate Lightroom. Interesting. Fair enough. Yeah. And it was an interesting thing too, because Claudia who runs downtown camera, um, she was telling me about a couple of photographers that still bring in their um, professional work to them. One's a film guy and the other one's a digital guy. And She's kind of asking um, the film guy, like, why film? And he's like, well, I can just turn around so quickly. Like, you know, I have a roll of film. I have, like, you know, 24, 36 shots on that. I shoot maybe two or three rolls, and then that's it. I have to just yeah. go through those, like, you know, at most maybe, like, 90-odd photos um, versus, like, the digital guy's process is, like, you know, there could be hundreds of photos to have to sift through to find the right one for that product or whatever and like that takes a lot of time so it's like the film guy was able to turn around his um production a lot faster than the digital guy which i thought was interesting because you'd think that like you know film being analog and all that would take more time but yeah yeah not really but it it's weird because it almost sounds like the thing that makes it faster is that there's less choosing to do at the end of the day yes that is and i mean there's still tons of people out there that will edit their film photos um and i don't think that's sacrilegious because like you know do whatever makes you happy also that's what a dark room was <laughs> well yeah that's exactly it. that's what a dark room was i do find it kind of funny though where it's like someone will shoot an image with portra and then edit it so that it'll look like fuji and be like well why why wouldn't have you just shot fuji in the first place <laughs> so you would have had that color palette like you just created a whole bunch of extra work for yourself that was like wildly totally. necessary if you just yeah. shot what you wanted 
out of it. Um, I feel like that's when you're getting into that zone of like, I shoot film to say I shoot film versus I shoot film because I really like this specific aesthetic for the following reasons. Yeah, like I, I shoot film because I'm like romantic and lazy. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Which is, it sounds like a very weird combination of those two things being in the same ecosystem. But I don't know, there's like, there's an interesting romance to film, which I love. It's not just like the look of the film, but it's also just like the feel of the, the cameras. Like, you know, totally. These old boys that have been around, like, you know, way longer than I've ever existed that are still doing their jobs today. So, like, there's a cool romance with that. And then, also just like the the process of like loading the cameras and working with it and having to think a bit more yeah. and then like the tactile feel of using them which is like very different from just like turning it on and clicking the shutter pretty much because yeah who doesn't use automatic on their digital these days <laughs> <laughs> are we talking focus or <laughs> shutter speed it's everything um yeah, so there, there, there's a romance with them, and then uh, like a lazy because like you know, I don't really have to think too much with film because it's really just focus and exposure. Yeah, that's it really. Yeah, I've always loved and shot for the post processing part of it. Like um, even when I was in the darkroom, I'd always be considering: Am I going to be pushing, pulling? What's going to happen after the fact? Like. Uh, I tried lith printing for a while. Have you ever gone into that weirdness? No, like lithography kind of stuff? Or... Yeah, but oh, there's wow. lith chemicals that you can use for film. This is, I did this I don't know, six, seven years ago, so my brain's a little foggy on the uh, exact details. But the way normal photochemistry works is it like, you've been in the darkroom, it's like 15 seconds and just spikes to almost a perfect image and then it kind of plateaus and you can have that long transition to get exactly what you want. Whereas lift starts super, super slow and then just kind of builds and builds and builds okay. um, and is way more high contrast. At the time I was doing it, I wanted uh, to essentially make photos that looked like sketches. So I had just extremely hard lighting with really hard shadows just around the edges of people. I pushed it like three or four stops, so it was super, super contrasty. Um, and then I used that lift so that just the darkness would start to emerge. Um, and a print would take usually around 45 minutes in the developer before I'd actually start to see the, the darkness come out. Oh, holy shit. Yeah. But it was, it was weird. And with, lith with those chemicals, it's like you have to choose the right paper and the right this and the right that. And at the time, I didn't have the budget to really delve into that. And in Vancouver, we had like three different types of paper, most of which were Ilford. So I just, I couldn't get the results I wanted. Yeah, it, it, that's kind of a sad thing is that like, you know, the, the paper game is a little weak these days. Cause yeah. It's basically just Ilford now, which... Not disparaging Alfred. I fucking love it. Alfred. Great paper. <laughs> totally great paper. Yeah. Um, there's like a few like Berger makes some film like photo photo paper. Um, what was the other one? I think Adox might still make some. Yeah. Um, I have a bunch of expired Kodak that I want to play with at some point. 
yeah you know why i bought so much of it before i left toronto um i just have like reams of old expired kodak photo paper but no lab um you have the full like darkroom setup though don't you like in yeah, larger trays i've got two enlargers i have all the trays um all the bobs and bits to like set up a darkroom just not the space because i live in a tiny underground dwelling <laughs> i hear you <laughs> trays We're... in the bathtub block off the door <laughs> so it's even too small for that because i don't have a bathtub ah. i have a stand-up shower um <clears throat> and it's it's very tiny like my toronto apartment before i was planning on on moving i had a whole plan on how i was going to um, make it into like a convertible darkroom. Yeah. I'm gonna build like a, a foldable like darkroom table that would go over top of the toilet and then have like the wet part in, in the tub kind of thing. Yeah. Um, which would have been great, but yeah, I don't live in Toronto anymore, so no dice there. But maybe in the new year, I was thinking of like trying to track down like a, a space or something where I could. Uh, build like a dark room and do that kind of stuff because yeah I've been fuck it's been like over two years now or at least two years since i've been in a dark room because covid yep because there was a really dope dark room that um i used to use all the time in toronto at gallery 44 um super cool dark very creepy um because it was like in this old warehouse building um, right off of, it was on Richmond, near the corner of Richmond in Spadina. Um, and super creepy, creepy old building. And the production space was in the basement. And uh, yeah, pretty sure the ghosts lived there. It was. Any good darkroom needs ghosts. Yeah, and like, I, one of the things that I loathe about processing my own film is when I have to use the dark bag. I don't like the temperature difference between my hands and the rest of my body. It, it can, it kind of gives me like anxiety issues. Yeah. There starts to be like a really big shift between those things. And I also learned the hard way when your palms get sweaty from your mom's spaghetti and you're trying to reload um, Polaroid. So it's like you can buy Polaroid eye type yeah. and then, hang on to your old Polaroid cartridges uh, with the batteries and you can buy iType, which is like five bucks cheaper huh. and in a change bag. You can reload it into the, um, the cartridges so that you can shoot that in your camera that requires a battery pack and save yourself five bucks. Um, Cause these batteries will last like, at least like four or five times before they start to run a bit low. Like, yeah, there's a lot more juice in these batteries than the amount that gets used. But what I learned is if you're doing it in a change bag and you start getting a little bit sweaty, the minute you get a little bit of moisture on the back of the Polaroid and then you sandwich another Polaroid on top of it. Oh no. Now you've just glued these two together and you create a jam in the camera when you try and fire this shot because um, how they eject out, there's like this tiny little channel right here in the cartridge. And hmm. there's a 
this little hook arm that comes out and it just kind of like grabs the thing and it pulls it just this far. That's that's all it has to go is just that far. Yeah. Feed it into the rollers. But if it can't do that, then you get a traffic jam in your camera and uh, sweaty hands will fuck everything up. Um, but Gallery 44 had a really cool change room that was like, it was big enough for probably three or four people to fit into. And it was this super dark, super creepy, like, murder room with a table in it. And I liked working with film in there because you were just at an even temperature with your whole body. But then it was creepy if you're in there at, like, you know, midnight working on film in the complete darkness and the buildings making its noises and stuff. <laughs> you're just like, am I really alone right now? I don't know. Yeah. I'm sure whatever ghost is in there is like, yeah, dark rooms. <laughs> what yeah. kind of film you shooting? Exactly. It's like, what uh, what aperture did you use there? You uh, you into primes? What's your, your <laughs> favorite focal length? Shut up, you nerdy ghost. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So, what is your favorite focal length? Ooh, <laughs> I actually I'm a total sucker for a fifty. I do love a fifty as well. Yeah, yeah. That said. For most of my work, I actually shoot with a 110 macro because oh. I really love the depth of field it gives. Just get in real close there with it. Even for like portraits, uh, not necessarily landscapes, but I'll do full body stuff with that thing and it still, it just compresses everything really nicely, is very sharp. Yeah. That's cool. I had an interesting shoe right before I left Toronto with the 4x5. I bought a 310 millimeter for it which I can never get to work right because I'm like, I don't have enough bellows on my camera to properly use this. And then discovered after years of owning that four by five camera that there isn't bellows extension that I just didn't know was there the whole time. I just needed oh. to switch. And, but the, the 310 was interesting because it's great for doing portraits, but you're like 30 odd feet away from the person. Yeah, totally but there's still so much detail. And it was like the perfect lens to use during COVID because you'd be like, I'm going to take a portrait of you, but I, I'm going to be over on this other property away from you. You just stand there and just yell orders at the, the person to move around. And... Yeah. Have you ever seen a Chuck Close print in person? No. It's wild. I saw one when I was in LA years ago. It was a portrait of um, Kate Moss, uh, tin type, I think, or Garrow type. Okay. Um, but just like, it was gorgeous. You had so much texture and detail in this perfect plane and then just like a little bit of softness on her nose and that beautiful fade out into that distortion of like a big glass. Yeah. It was great. It, that made me want to shoot uh, large format for sure. Yeah, my, my homie JP does a lot of that stuff in San Francisco. Um, and... I've never really fucked around with filters very much, but he's kind of convinced me that I need to buy some filters because he, he shoots his four by five wide open all the time, like in sunlight, but he uses ND filters to stop it down so that totally that really nice bokeh without overexposing everything. Yep. And then I felt like an idiot because it's just like, cool, I'm like so old. And I just learned today that you can use ND filters to not blow out your images neat <laughs> yeah yeah ND filters are great I love them 
I have this um, awesome set. They have like a clamp that attaches to the front of your thing, and then the uh, ND filters are just like squares or rectangles of plastic. Okay. And so some of them have really nice gradients. So if you're shooting a landscape and you just want to stop down the sky, you just drop in one of the gradient filters and just like slide it up and down until it blocks out just what you need, and then you can shoot whatever. That's cool. Yeah. And it kind of clamps in, in the rail kind of thing then? Or? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sounds and it's also nice because um, all you need is just like adapter rings for different sizes of lens. So you can throw this thing on like the okay. biggest lens you have or some tiny little thing. And... That would look pretty funny to like have it hanging off the front of like a little point and shoot or something though. Right? Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a big apparatus. <laughs> huh. I have to look into one of those. That sounds quite, quite interesting. Do you ever want to borrow it? I I may I may take you up on that. <laughs> I just I've been in like such a creative funk since moving here that I haven't really um, done much of anything. Um, that shoot with Chelsea is like the first thing I've done in a long time. So. Um, so yeah. when you say creative funk, because I feel like I've seen you on your Instagram that you've been out shooting street stuff quite a bit, but the funk has been preventing you from, uh, like, I suppose, conceptual shoots or planning something out and making it happen as opposed to just hunting it down. Yeah. So, like, the, the street stuff is okay because, like, that's more of, like, a mental health exercise where it's just, like, I always bring some sort of camera with me wherever I go because it's, like, a safety blanket. Um, but also, like, you never know what you're going to catch. Sometimes you see some, some interesting shit when you're out in the wild. Oh, no, I just realized that this camera's missing a screw. Um, but, yeah, like, the planning planning things out and stuff, like, I felt kind of bad with, with Chelsea because um, I was just, like, I have no creative opinion to offer on this because, like, I don't know what I want to do right now. So um, I felt kind of bad that um, she had to, like, think of, of all this stuff. And I was just yeah. like, push the button. Um, and so, like, that's more the the fun thing there is, like, is haven't really been able to, like, get in a mindset of wanting to conceptualize things. Yeah. Uh, I find that's one of the fun things about collaborative photo shoots, though. And I'm sure, like, working with Chelsea, my impression, I haven't worked with her myself, but my impression is she's done so many shoots that she's not about to show up and be a blank slate. It'll no. just become, like, very collaborative, bouncing ideas and seeing what happens. Yeah, and, like, that was a, a thing that was also cool shooting uh, with them was um, I, I haven't shot with a lot of people, mostly by design too like I've had a lot of people reach out wanting to do stuff um but I've been kind of like picky about about people and I felt comfortable shooting with uh with Chelsea because um they shot with Ryan um who used to frequent the Remington and he had lots of good things to say um so there was like a comfort level there um because I guess like I get like a little worried with stranger danger <laughs> and stuff yeah um, and it's just, it's nice to be able to have a more organic connection with people. Like the, the people I've shot with um, previously, it's all been like very organic and collaborative kind of things where it's just, it doesn't, 
it feels effortless almost because you're yeah. just like, hanging out with a pal and you're just like bullshitting and you're just making really cool shit and uh those were the the kind of um shoots i like doing i think that was like also maybe a bit of like the funk is like being so far away from the people i like collaborating with and yeah well i don't really know anyone here so i don't know what i'm gonna do yeah yeah it's definitely a a weird time for making those types of connections like i love just uh similarly just calling putting a call out seeing who gets at me and then getting creative but it's definitely there's a a wall there a comfort level yeah and Jeffrey says, gradual ND filters come in clutch for sunsets and sunrises. I really need to get some because they really do help a ton. Yep. Right. <laughs> it's true. I guess it's time to start investing in some ND filters. Yeah. Unfortunately, they're like the one filter type that hasn't become completely dirt cheap because of uh, digital. But you can get like a yellow filter for $2. That's fair. Or get one of those Cinebloom ones so that you can make your digital photos look like film. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I think uh, those are now sponsored by Peter McKinnon. Peter McKinnon. I feel like I know that name. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Is this a jab? Are you throwing shade at someone? <laughs> I, I was totally throwing shade. <laughs> He's um, a filmmaker of sorts that makes a lot of videos of him making coffee while screaming, what's up, guys? Oh, fun. Yeah. yeah like Quint like he, he's like Canada's Casey Neistat light. Um, <laughs> I'm glad you don't know who these people are, because like, that's, that's probably a good thing. Um, yeah. But yeah. I can't throw too much shade because it's like, you know, good for people that have found ways to uh, make money doing things that they love or feel passionate about. Mm -hmm. uh, but also it kind of like gets a little bit boring when it's all the same content online. I want, I want to see some diversity and, yeah. you know, not a hundred videos of people talking about how awesome Sinistel 800T is to shoot gas stations with. Right. But those yeah. gas stations just look so good. Yeah, but only on Sinistel. I know, I know. <laughs> it has to be the sin is still, and uh, you just got to get that hot fire, bro. Yeah. I, I can't wait for those guys to actually make that stuff in 4x5, though. They did a run of it a couple of years ago, and they teased that they might bring it back, but it'd be kind of cool to shoot 800T in 4x5. Do you have a 4x5 camera? I do. His name is Rufus, and... Um, it has a very interesting story behind it. It was it was a gift of sorts um, from my photo mentor, um, who is just this really wild dude in Toronto. That a few of like my most special cameras came from him, um, and the four by five was an interesting one because he phoned me up one day and I hadn't heard from him in in months, and he was just like, "Meet me at the Starbucks." Um, so I go meet him and we get to talking and he pulls out this low pro magnum bag and puts it on the table and he's like, I think you're ready for this. And it was like a full four by five kit. Like it was a Wista uh, four by five body, 75 mil lens, 90 mil lens and a 135 mil lens, a bunch of holders, um, all the accoutrement to like 
get going. And he's like, yeah. some guy's supposed to buy this shit off me, but he's been fucking dogging me for months. So you take this and you go and you shoot, shoot, shoot. You're ready for this now. You go out, you go shoot, shoot, shoot. But I'm going to call you one day and I'm going to be like, bring my fucking camera. I'm going to call you. Like, bring my fucking camera back. And you fucking bring that fucking camera. I call you fucking camera back. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, I get it. I get Okay. Holy shit. Um, this was the Hells Angels portrait photographer, I take it. <laughs> Maybe. He's a very, <laughs> like, mysterious dude. I never asked many questions about him, mostly because I didn't want to know. Um, and so I had this 4x5 camera, and in the back of my mind, I was like, he'll be very angry if, like, he doesn't, if this guy finally, like, phones to, like, get the camera, and it's not available. And I used to travel a lot in the old world before the world ended. Mm. Uh, so, like, if I was going on a trip, I'd phone him up and be like, hey, man, I'm, like, going to Boston for a week. And do you want me to drop this camera off? He's like, no, take it with you. Shoot, shoot, shoot. He's like, okay. And so I call, I, I went across Canada with it. And he's like, no, take it with you. Shoot, shoot, shoot. I brought it to Texas. Um, you know, took it to California. Like, I did all this traveling with it. And I had it for, like, nine months. And not once did he call me up being like, bring the fucking camera back. And at that point, I had kind of, like, bonded with the camera. And I'm like, I don't want to give it back now. Yeah. We're, we're homies now. This is Rufus. He's, like, my camera. Um, and I called him up one day, and I was like, dude, man, like, let's just talk about me just buying this camera off of you. Because, like, at this point, I don't want to give it back. And, like it's been nine months and this like dude that says he's going to buy it from you has not. So like, you know, let's just make this happen. <clears throat> and he's like, you know what? Consider it a gift. Nice. And I was like, okay, this is what? <laughs> <laughs> like that's, that's a lot of gift. Um, and I'm like, one day, you know, I'm probably going to have to pay for this, I guess. We'll we'll see. Um, in some way. In some way. Um, yeah. He, it's been a weird time knowing that guy. But it's been interesting because I've run into other people who've met him in Toronto. And they all have similar stories where, like, he used to be, like, a real, like, sort of stern not very friendly, generous person when he was like coming up in his career or whatever. And then something shifted and he just became like still a stern, intimidating kind of dude, but like wicked generous. And they're like, Oh yeah. Like he gave me all this stuff or it's like, I have this because, you know, he hooked me up with it. And it was just interesting, like hearing all these other photographers in Toronto that um you know been, been touched by this man yeah like julian says he's like a photo photographer godfather he's like i'm gonna make you an offer you can't refuse <laughs> and, yeah i mean like right even from the get-go the first time i met him i thought i was gonna have to blow him for a camera and um thank god no but you know now with this like latest gift of his Maybe one day I'll have to. I don't know. Um, so it's, it's been a, yeah, a true patron of the arts. Yeah. It's, it's cool. Like I, I'm glad that there's still people out there in the world that exist like that, that like to pay it forward to 
to other people and aren't just like is like gatekeepers or like profiteering yeah creative stuff like i think that's like one of my chief beefs with um film photography stuff are for lack of better words the cunts out there that make a shit ton of money off of oh this film is unavailable and in high demand so i'm going to just charge an arm and a leg for it because i can yep i kind of feel it's like a bit rude like i get it capitalism that that's how it should be but like it's also kind of a bummer out there for people that have like established their creative practices using like a certain medium yeah they only have like so many funds and they were eking by on on creating those things when that medium was affordable and now it's like it goes from like 12 bucks a pack to like 150 us a pack and you know you can still make a profit and not be a douchebag like, yes it's yeah. true yeah. tell that to vancouver landlords <sighs> i mean bc in general as well too like I, I was visiting um, my my hometown, uh, Kimberly, recently, and, like, the rental rates up there are almost on par with Vancouver. Like, it's it's insane. And I was just like, who's going to pay 1900 bucks a month to live in a one-bedroom town in a shithole fucking dinky place with 5,000 people? Yeah. Like, if you're going to spend that much money, just live in Vancouver. Like, just seems in insane um yeah and that's also i think like a bit of what has made vancouver well not a bit a lot of what's made vancouver shitty is that um it's not affordable for interesting people to live here mm. the great brain drain yeah like it was kind of sad to see that in the early 2000s when rent started to spike up a bit and like I had all these musician friends and creative friends that were like leaving Vancouver almost in droves because it's like, well, I can't afford to live here. So I'm off to Montreal or egg or uh, even Toronto for a while was more affordable than Vancouver, which seems like mind blowing. Totally. (laughs) And now it seems like my uh, Toronto has more patrons of the arts or people who are actually going to, pay the money for something that isn't just an NFT so artists can actually live there. Yeah, like that, that's something that I am missing a lot from Toronto that, because when I moved out here, I didn't think I was going to miss Toronto much. And now I miss Toronto a lot more than I expected I would. And part of it was just like the, the creative aspects of Toronto. Yeah seemed a bit healthier than Vancouver. I mean, Julianne can probably weigh in a little bit more because, like, she's a, she's a fantastic creative in Toronto. Um, if you want some... Oh, actually, I'm wearing her shirt today. The guillotine shirt. Ooh. Um, if you want to get yourself a sweet, sweet guillotine shirt because you fucking hate capitalism, too, hit up foot to face on Instagram, or I believe foot2face.com is her website, and uh, you can you can get yourself some sweet merch and some beautiful artwork there's a bunch of her her artworks back there on my wall and nice other places in my apartment has her work too yeah she's the shit 
Um, but yeah, there's like the the art scene just seems a bit healthier in Toronto compared to here. Yeah. Um, I did see a cool um, exhibit though at Slice of Life Gallery on Venables. Yeah. And I have to go pick up because I did buy a print there. Um, which is, is kind of a cool print. It's like this cartoony print. It's like Houses of Vancouver. And it's like all of these like, you know, cartoon interpretations of like Vancouver style housing. And I was just like, this is too good to like not pass up. Like, because it had all of the like, you know, main Vancouver archetypes. And yeah. Yeah. That's been a kind of a cool gallery. I've seen a couple of things down there. Yeah. But it's not quite this like Toronto, especially pre-COVID, on like a Friday or Saturday, it's like, you know, you had like a couple of gallery things to go to because like you have friends doing different things. So it's like, you know, you'd be hitting like, you know, two, three, four different galleries in one night because you've got to go check out. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. I think here in Vancouver, we do get a bad rap and to some extent deserved. But I think there was a time pre-COVID when it was close to that. Like, maybe not to the same extent, and more centralized, like, uh, there'd be one building, but the building would be full of a bunch of artists, so you could just go hang out in a building for however long and see what's going on. And There are a good number of galleries. That said, over COVID, we've lost 20 underground art and music venues. Oh, shit. Yeah, I was chatting with a friend of mine who runs the Toast Collective, which is one of the few remaining, and we're estimating there are five or six music venues like underground music venues left in the city man that's a bummer that's a huge bummer I and remember. to get on the t-shirt train black lab couple blocks away best punk venue in town <laughs> um i remember seeing a bunch of cool punk shows at the like dingy basement space under the amsterdam cafe before they renovated it into that vape lounge or whatever the hell it is now. Yeah. Um, now it's kind of a cool venue because it felt hella murdery. Like you're just in this like dark, dank basement with punk music. Yeah. Did you yeah. ever go to the original Red Gig when it was on Cambian Hastings? No. Was it that? was like just wild. The guy who started it, Jim, uh, was inspired by, I think he lived in. Um, Berlin for a while and he wanted to just create like that artist squat it was five stories the top was a recording studio it was like two floors of art studios one floor of gallery and then this crazy basement that had this huge dragon mural along the side and it would just throw the craziest parties it was fantastic yeah that sounds amazing yeah and they're one of the ones that are still kicking but they've been like kicked out to they went over to Hastings and roughly Clark for a while and now they're up on Main Street in the old Vivo space Okay, but, but they're just constantly fighting like the developers are just knocking on their door trying to get them out of there and they're just like getting the grants getting whatever they're able to say stick with it fucking developers man fucking developers like you've made enough money already assholes <laughs> yeah the biggest <laughs> bullshit one Chip Wilson let's get into that guy um, and low tide properties bought up uh, several art spaces in East Vancouver, which were just full of artists. And they're like, we're going to make it a creative space. And then kicked everyone out and raised the rents. 
Yeah, and you probably have to like be a certain body type and weight size to be able to rent in there now. Um, totally. Your creativity has to be easily monetized. Exactly. And it's like, you know, you have to look good in Lululemons. To, you know, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> wow. That guy is terrible. Yeah. Um, is it Morgan says RIP the cobalt? I fucking love the cobalt. That was, that was yeah. a point too. And then the, the brief period when the Asbalt existed. Oh, I don't know it. Okay. So in the early 2000s, the, um, the cobalt closed for a while for some reason. But the lady who ran all the show at the cobalt. Wendy 13? Over, yeah, Wendy 13. Yeah. Took over the Astoria for a while. And then the Astoria became the Asbalt. Yeah, that's good. (laughs) The Asbalt, like there was so many great punk shows that would go on there. Like, um, I I saw DOA there a few times. Um, There was this like fucking wild like noise festival that happened there, and Drunk Merlin had completely forgotten that he had told this like noise band that was comprised of like dudes that met each other off of the internet that had never met in person that decided to form a band and then tour. And it was like a couple dudes from the States, a dude from Sweden. Um, and I think one guy from Canada and drunk Merlin told them that they could totally stay at my. <laughs> and like these like four random musicians who had been like living in a van for weeks showed up at my doorstep and I was like, who the fuck are you guys now? And, like, the Swedish guy's like, it's me, Dennis! And I'm like, it's still not ringing a bell. And they're like, you said we could stay with you. And I was just like, well, shit, I guess come in. <laughs> so that was, a, that was a big one. But they were interesting dudes. Dennis was on my Facebook for, like, years. He was a little, yeah. a little crazy. Um, and they saw, like, this crazy punk band from Japan that um only played in Japanese which was kind of fucking cool to see like so many totally. things happened at the Astoria the Astoria yeah it, it still holds up I don't know who's running it but it's one of the few places that I'll definitely keep an eye on yeah and then Funkies like that that was always an interesting joint to like wander into yep um I did go to the Balmoral a couple of times and that always felt a little sketchy yeah 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 my first studio was like a few doors down from there so every so often i'd just go grab a pint of beer while waiting for something and it was interesting i like that they still had the segregated entrances there but like they just didn't make people adhere to that it was just like, yeah you couldn't just like pop that little sign off there where it's like you know piece of history man yeah Exactly. I haven't wandered down that part of Hastings, though, in a long time. Yeah. It kind of it bums me out a little bit that the city just refuses to do anything about helping all those people. Yeah, absolutely. It's pretty appalling. And everyone will get voted in because they'll make all these big promises and then be like, oh, what promises? Yeah. What people? There's yeah. no problem there. Like, we'll increase funding to the police and they'll just shuffle people around so you don't see them for too long. Yeah. And then like they lowered the speed limit and put all those extra pedestrian things in there. So it's like, you know, 
it, it lowers the potential that you may run over a person. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. That was one thing that's bummed me out coming back to is like Toronto has like a very intense homeless issue as well too, but um nowhere near as bad as Vancouver, like optically. Um, We're the um what's area code am I in? The V six A area code is the poorest postal code in North America. Holy shit. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. I mean, the math checks out on that, though, if you, like, drive around that area. Totally. Yeah, I remember, so um, before I had a photo studio, I got back from Berlin, and in Berlin, I went on this wicked free graffiti tour of Berlin, which I just loved, and I was like, I'm going to do that here. So for one summer, I just did a ton of research about, like, the graffiti in the city, the art spaces, and the history of the downtown east side and what's going on there, and led a tour. And when I did that, I learned that, and this was... 2010, 2009, something like that, right after the Olympics. Um, the homeless population at that time was 5,000 people. And it's just been going up since then. I think like the last year, to Kennedy Stewart's credit, though I don't think he's necessarily responsible, uh, there have been a bunch of shelters. And like one perk that came out of coronavirus was that they've turned so many of the hotels that were abandoned into homeless shelters along like Granville Strip and all that. So it's gotten a lot better over the last year or so, but it's still just like an astronomical number of homeless people in this area. Yeah, it is. It is really sad. And like a lot of them um, were ejected from the healthcare system when um, I think it was one of the conservative one. Was it, was it the Campbell era? Maybe. I think so. Yeah when they shut down all of the, um, the, the mental institutions and stuff. And yep. like, that was a brilliant idea. Like, let's shut down these places that are filled with people who have like never lived anywhere else. And yep. their family was just like, we don't want to deal with them here. You take them and then just put them out in the wild and be like, well, there you go. You'll do fine. Yeah, and then let's take all that money and still just put it into police instead of putting it back into the thing that was working. Because that makes all sense. <laughs> you know, For all you Canadians, there is an election coming up in about a month. <laughs> fuck yeah. the conservatives and fuck the liberals. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the liberals now are basically the new conservatives. Yeah, totally. They're just terrible. And like that... So when I drove up to Kamloops recently, um, I got to see our pipeline at work, which was so cool. I'm so glad that our current government decided that, you know, let's spend billions of dollars on a pipeline that yeah. even people that started building it know is a terrible idea. Yeah. And yeah, like that's... Uh... And then that line, like after the... Um the whatever summit the un summit on the environment comes out and it's like hey we're all fucked and the <laughs> the government's like oh we better finish building this pipeline so that we can make the money off the pipeline so that we can fund green initiatives how about just be like it's a loss yeah totally let's like, cut it here <laughs> yeah like let's not double down on this shit sandwich that we started and like i think what pissed me off the most about the the pipeline was like the same time we bought it, 
the government was like, oh, we can't find like $2.3 billion to give clean drinking water to indigenous communities who have not had clean drinking water for decades. We can't find that money, but let's spend $4 billion, which is what they said publicly, but it's more like $7 billion on the back end with all of the extra accoutrement that we had to absorb with that. Yeah, and so I think we're up to 12 point something billion now. Yeah, awesome. So it's like yeah. we can't find $2.3 billion to give Canadian people clean drinking water, but we can give $12 billion straight to oil interests not in this country. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. 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 Uh, makes Don't quote sense. me on it, but it's election is September 22nd. Yeah. I really hope we don't end up with a conservative government. Yeah, right. Yeah. Definitely the lesser of two evils, but I'm come on orange. I would love to see the NDP finally win. But yeah. I don't know if Canada is ready to um, not be that racist. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Like that's for our American friends that are listening right now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> They're just like, what's going on? <laughs> we've, uh, we've burst this bubble a few times before on the chat, but Canada is not a, a sweet kumbaya utopian nation and where we all get along and um, have free health care. And all that we do have, we have pretty free healthcare. We have pretty freeish healthcare, but it's like fraught with issues because we've cut corners and bloated it out, and um, it's free, but not great. But at least it's free, yeah. so we've got that going for us. So it's like we have like freeish healthcare that will help some people, especially if you're white, you'll be fine. Yeah, healthcare system loves you. Um, but if you're a person of color, um, good luck um, getting good help with that, um, which leads us to the other great part of Canada. We are wicked fucking racist in Canada, like yeah. wicked for a multicultural nation. Um, yeah, it's uh, not as friendly as we, we have a great marketing team, though. Um, it's it's great. Um, yeah. I mean, everywhere has issues, though. But yeah. <laughs> we're really good at hiding our issues because it's just like, don't look at We don't have that. What are you talking we about? We say please and sorry. It's okay. Exactly. It's like, we don't really like your kind here. Sorry about that. But could you just please go back to your own country? Yeah. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why we probably won't end up with the right party coming into power because... Um, Canadians just aren't, for the most part, I don't think they're ready to, um, unfortunately to get there because yeah. there's too many old white people that are still voting, <laughs> but luckily there's a whole bunch of new young people who are voting and hopefully they are That's smart true. and not racist. Yeah. I mean, if we could just not allow Alberta to vote. Maybe, <laughs> right? Maybe that would help, because um, yeah, it's not only the old white people you have to worry about in Alberta, but it's also like just you know, yeah, all the oil people that think it's a great idea that are like backing Kenny, being um, you know, the NDP screwed up this uh, or not NDP? Yeah, 
because Notley was running there. So yeah, it was yeah. like they're blaming the NDP for all of that. But it's like no, it's Kenny's shit that's like tanking your. Though his approval rating just went down to like thirty percent or something like that. Thank so. Because. But that that, that only necessarily means that they're like, oh, this guy's not conservative enough. <laughs> all right how about we get back to photography before we get too upset <laughs> yeah it's totally um yeah but anyways get out and vote and, yeah get out and vote um take your your head out of your words you have not one but two european languages uh well i mean ish so if you're in montreal or like quebec yeah a lot of people do speak French there, um, but we're still mostly mostly English. Yeah, totally. uh, yeah. It's um, again, our marketing is really great. We have a we have a great marketing team that does a fucking fantastic job of maple washing the world into thinking um, we're, we're a really great nation. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I think Julianne came up with the maple washing. In, it's a in good the- line. <laughs> Yeah, I, I like that one. Anyways, um, yeah, the world's in such a great state, right? Not just in Canada, but just everywhere. So yeah. what are you happy about right now? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Do you find that that influences the type of photos you take? I think it, it changes the subject matter a little bit because most of what I like to shoot is all external stuff. So it's just been interesting seeing how um, that shifted, where it's just like um, people have become a lot more distant because we have to, like the distancing and the the masks and all that. So that's kind of changed how some of that, that work looks. But then it's also kind of changed it too, like when I'm with friends and stuff, I wanna take more photos of them when we get to have those like in-person moments and stuff because like yeah. they've become that much more valuable now because like it's it's a rarity to bring someone in your bubble and be like yeah let's be in the same space together and raw dog air together and um you know totally yeah um so do you find like, those like uh more intimate photos where do those end up? Are you like a, Hey, I'm hanging out with friends. I'm going to post this to Instagram or are you like, I'm going to keep this for myself or. Most of like, so I have a massive problem with taking photos. Like I, <laughs> what? I, haven't been, <laughs> I haven't been shooting film again for very long. Like I've only been shooting again since like 2017, but like easily there's like fucking tens of thousands of photos that I've shot since then. Yeah. I just have like big boxes, like Home Depot boxes of negatives. Cause I just don't know. Like just another a bunch came in. These are all, these are all negatives from downtown camera. I haven't even oh, damn. yet because I don't know what I'm going to do with them. So um, I'm just going to, they'll probably be in this box for years. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of photos that um, are just, for, for me and the, the people that were in that moment. I don't like sharing a lot of yeah. private stuff. Um, 
yeah so like most of it, it just a lot of it will probably go un, unseen yeah uh, and like i fucking forget some photos i've even taken like I'll be looking for something to post because, like, I haven't been shooting as much as I used to, so I've been, like, dipping into the archives. Um, and I'll, like, come across a role and just be like, oh, shit, when did photos again? Like, totally forgot, like, that was a thing. And then I'll, like, remember that day and be like, oh, that, was a, that was a neat day. Totally. Um, I find that's one of the most beautiful things about photos, especially... Something I did a while back, I guess not a while back, COVID seems like ages, but it was sometime during the last year, I guess, was just found a pack of photos lying around. And it's photos I've never or haven't looked at in ages. And it just right away just triggers all those memories. Yeah. Well, I think that's what I love about Polaroids, too. It's like when you pick up like a, an instant photo, um, you get sort of transported back to that moment. Like, you know, this was from my recent trip to um Kimberly and yeah this was this is my old uh English teacher <laughs> when I was in like grade 10 um and yeah we got to catch up for a little bit but like when I pick up this photo I like remember that moment we were like having that drink and the conversation we were having and yeah you know it's not something that I will like scan or post on Instagram. This is probably the closest this photo will ever <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cause there's just some stuff that is just not meant for that. And then there's like some stuff I've shot that <clears throat> is almost even too personal for me where um, it's really haunting and beautiful. And I appreciate it when I looked at it and then it just goes in a box and just like, you know, it, uh, yeah. And, and I think like a big part of it, I, I talked with Take about this on the photo chat I had with him, but, um, like photography is a mental health exercise for me. Yeah. And, um, a big part of it is, um, leaving something behind. Mm. Um, and yeah, Julianne says that she likes the portrait pieces a lot. I've taken a lot of portraits of Julianne when we would be hanging out in parks and stuff. Um, and then photography is isolationist by its nature. I think it can be, but I also think it can be like, you know, a, a group experience as well too, and like a collaborative experience. I don't think it's yeah. very isolationist. Um, but yeah, a big part of it too is just like, leaving something behind um, where it's just like, I've been very lucky to have a lot of interesting moments and interesting experiences with all sorts of different kinds of people. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's, you'd be kind of ashamed to not have some sort of like documentation or like something about that moment. So a lot of the, the photos I take are just sort of like, photo documenting my own life kind of thing so yeah that, um you know there's something left behind um yeah so have you noticed that uh the the covid era has like shifted how your relationship with photography is or um not necessarily 
I've never been much of a, I think, like I said, I'm more of a, I think about a photo and then I will take that photo as opposed to seeing the photos around me type of guy. And a friend of mine once made a joke that I'm a terrible photographer because I'm the only person who never has a camera on them. Whereas everyone else is like, they got their phones, they have a camera, but at a group party or whatever, I'll never be taking photos. But like, uh, I guess with COVID, um, a couple of friends and I have been going on a lot more camping trips and there. I'm starting to take more photos, but cool. I'm definitely not sharing them. I'll share like a, a handful, but most of them are just for me and for them. That's what I love about disposable cameras is I can just carry that with me. I don't care if I lose it because it's not going to cost me an arm and a leg. It's quick, it's dirty, and then I'll develop the photos as prints. I usually don't even get them scanned and I'll just give them to my friends, like get three copies or whatever, and, and that's it. Yeah, I kind of like that. Like that's that's a neat way to to kind of go about it. And disposables are fun too. Like yeah, they are fun with those. Yeah, um, and it's important to print photos too, because um, like it's you, even when you're shooting film, like it's easy to end up with that whole like sort of digital trope where it's like I have like thirty thousand photos in my iPhone and how do I care about even 5% of them? Probably not, but yeah. they're all there. Um, it's different when you print something. Like, um, before I went to go see uh, Henri today, um, I knew that he was going to give me a print from the last time we hung out, and uh, I had a couple shots from that same day, too, so um, I was just like, I don't have a great photo printer, um, but I was like, I had to print a couple of uh, the photos to give them because, you know, it's nice to be able to share something tangible, which is also why I like the Polaroids. Like, it's nice to be able to, like, take an instant photo and yeah. with with the person right away. Have something tangible. Yeah, as opposed to, look at the back of my screen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then it's like, when I'm trying to show people photos on my phone, they're like, oh, I can't see it because I have, like, one of those privacy things on it. So then it's like all audience like fuck, just it's it's nicer to be able to share like a real thing i think that's why i also really like photo books a lot too because it's yeah like, it's something that someone can hold and something that they could share with other people and like you can get around collectively to like enjoy um that content and um you know have it like spark conversation and totally connect people and i i think that's maybe the root of like why I like doing photography is like a connection kind of thing. Yeah. 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 And I'm not very good at talking to people, like engaging with people just out of the blue kind of thing. So it's like the, the camera kind of helps a little bit as like a bridge when you're yeah. trying to, uh, to connect with someone. In, um, on photography, Susan Sontag calls it a passport. The camera is a passport into other people's lives. I like that. That makes sense. Yeah. So then if a camera is a passport, an instant camera like a Polaroid or Fuji would be like a Nexus pass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like that. It, for American people, Nexus is like TSA pre-check, um, global entry kind of thing. So gets you in there faster. Um, 
I like that. It, it is a nice way to sort of like bring bring guard down. And I think that like when I look at old photos too, it's um, it's neat that ways you see how people would like interact and get excited about cameras. Like I don't know if that's so much the case now because it's not like a novelty like it was like yeah. a few decades ago. But like you know, it wasn't common for people to see someone with a camera. So it's like, oh, you want to take my photo? Like, you know. Yeah, it was a really special experience. There's definitely a shift, and some people will see it as a great thing. But I think a lot of people, their guards will go up. And you hear from so many people, like, oh, I don't look good in photos. Or, or I don't like my smile. Or, like, all those negative things. I Like, um, portrait photography is, I'm sure, same for you, like, a big part of my practice and. I'd say most people at some point will say, oh, I don't like how I look in photos. I've had that come across. Like, there was a lady that I ran into in Calgary when I was helping Kat move to Vancouver last year. And I ordered some food from this joint in Inglewood, and I was just waiting for the food. And I was taking some photos, and she saw I had a Polaroid. And she's like, is that an old Polaroid? And we had to talk. I'm like, yeah, you know. She's like, I didn't know they still made a film for it. And we had, like, a chat about the Polaroid. And I was like... Would you would you like a photo? And she's like, no, eh, that's a waste. And and I was like, well, it's just for you. Like, you know, I won't, I don't keep a copy of it. It's a Polaroid. Like, you have the only one in existence. And she's like, oh, well, it's like I'm just getting off work and I look awful. And I'm like, you look fine. Like, you totally. Know, you know, don't overthink. If you'd like one, I'd be happy to give one. And she's like, oh. Yeah okay, I guess so. And like, so I took a photo and gave it to her. And then when she got it, she was just like, this is amazing. Like, yeah. I've had the worst day. Like, I just, I don't want to get into it. She's like, it was just been a terrible day. And thank you for this. And she was like all kind of happy about yeah. it. It was kind of a nice moment to share. And I was just like, no, you look great. Like, and she's like, you know, do you want the mask on, mask off? And I was like, well, this is your photo. So it's like, we're outside and we're like, quite far apart from each other so if you want the mask off and she's like yeah i don't want to remember the mask (laughs) (laughs) um so he was like all happy to have it and like you know moment for me too because it's just like you know selfishly that's part of why i like oh man instant photos is for that like you know i want that gratification of making a little bit Making someone feel good because of the photo you took of them is one of the best feelings. Yeah, it's such a nice feeling. And yeah. especially when they get to like walk away with it, um, which is why I always try to have at least one instant camera with me all the time because um, I feel it's weird sometimes to be like, yo, can I take a picture with my film camera? And maybe in like a couple of weeks or a month or so, you'll be able to see it if we like connect with each other on this social media thing, or if you email me or, you know, there's just a lot of like moving bits and pieces to that versus like, here, I took a photo of you. You can have it and we'll, we'll never talk again ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Morgan says, I think lots of people, have just had too many shitty snapshots of themselves versus actual photos. Yeah. I think it's yeah. also like uh, one of the curses going back to why the internet sucks is like we see so many photos now, so many more than we ever saw before. And it's always these heavily photoshopped or filtered or models or professional people. And then you see your own picture after that. And you're like, oh, I don't look like 
this person who had a $10,000 Photoshop thrown at them. And then you just feel like shit. Yeah. But you all got to remember, like, I love seeing a smile. You might hate your smile, but if you smile, I'm going to smile back. Yeah. That's very true. And it's a comment. I just printed a couple of photos to give to homeless friends in Kerouac Park. They know me as the camera guy. Those photographs are a gift. They are not a passport into their lives. So that's an interesting comment. Like, yeah, the photographs are a gift, but the camera was your passport into their lives to be able to take those photos. Mm -hmm. so like, if you didn't have that camera, if you didn't engage with them, you would have never gained entry into that moment. So I think there's still like... Or wouldn't have had the same impetus to you. Yeah, exactly. Um, and like, that's an interesting thing to get into too. Like, I don't like shooting photos of homeless people at all, um, unless I'm going to like actually engage with them and, and get to know them, which, you know, I don't do as much as I used to. Like when I was younger, I would like, you know, buy them dinner and sit down and have a conversation and learn a bit of their lives. And it was interesting, like learning these people's live stories and that, you know, oftentimes they had just had some bad luck. Like, you know, they lost their job or um, someone close to them died and it put them in a tailspin and they just lost complete control of their lives. And it just yeah. thing they had disintegrated. Um, and the camera was my passport to like have those conversations with those people. Cause had I not had that camera, I wouldn't have had that conversation with them. I wouldn't have like, you know, made that problem. Be like, you know, I'll, I'll buy you some food and have a chat with you. If you let me take a photo of you. Um, and Eric Bouvet, a photographer I know in LA, um, he spent a lot of time in, in downtown LA just getting to know the people before he even brought a camera with him. And like, he'd go down there and just like, you know, he started building personal relationships with these folks um, and got to know them before um, he like went down there with a camera because, you know, it's just, they're, they're humans. They're, they're, they're people. And I, I have a bit of a struggle with like, some of the photos I see that, that people take of like people in really sort of bad ways and things like that. Cause it's like opportunistic and totally. kind of voyeuristic in, in all the wrong ways. And very othering. Yeah, it, it is. Cause it's, it's a, I feel like it's a bit dehumanizing you in a way. It's just yeah. like, you know, I've seen many, like, there, there's, like, don't get me wrong, like, I'll see it, and I'll be like, there's a shot there. Like, this could be a really oh, yeah. shot of this person, but I don't, I'm not going to take because, like, for me, it doesn't feel right. I don't feel comfortable with that. It's also the same thing, like, I don't like shooting random people on the street um, unless I've, like, kind of cleared it with them. Like, so I, I kind of have this, like, weird rule of thumb in my head where it's like if I see something that I want to take a photo of I'll ask myself if it feels too intimate like does this feel like an intimate moment if it does I'm not going to shoot that because I don't want to infringe on that person's uh, space because like if that like looking through the lens and it feels intimate there then it's too close for me to be like I'm just going to take this and like you know just whatever yeah 
if I still feel like really inclined to like try and capture that moment as it is, like I'll just ask the person, I'll be like, Hey, like the way you were sitting on that bench, just like, you know, looking very contemplative, you know, it looks really cool. Do you mind if like you kind of just hold yourself like that again and let me take a photo? Um, and if they say, yeah, then like totally cool. Um, you know, But it, it was your permission to enter, you know, a passport is a permission to enter and, you know, you still have to like go through questions and stuff. Like you don't just automatically get in just because you have a passport. Like, you know, there's still some, some questions, sorry, the, the response was then it's not a passport yeah. <laughs> or just permission to enter. Um, a passport is like a, a component of permission to enter, but like you still have to like talk with the customs person you still have yeah. like an interaction with them and you wouldn't have that interaction if you didn't have that that passport to like like start that that interaction so yeah um, but i mean we're all built differently and uh, we all have different moral levels and totally. like lots of people out there that have no problem walking up to someone on the street and being like hey click oh man um, Last time I was in New York, people were there. I think like two or three times, someone would just be like walking by and just like poof, and just keep yeah. walking. Every time I'd smile, it was instinctive. It would be the worst smile. It was like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no, Zontag wasn't all right, always right for sure. No, yeah, but no one's ever always right either. That's true. Like, um, yeah, I don't like that. Like, I saw a guy when I was in Boston doing that to people, and I was just like, that's so rude. Uh, and, like, the flash was on, too, so it's just, like, you're yeah. really bright. Like, you know, you just made the person shit their pants. And, like, that's not art. That's just terrifying people. Totally. I like that. So Julian says, you still need someone's consent to give them a gift. The idea of calling it a passport doesn't diminish that. And Yeah. I agree with that. But it, it's like an interesting thought of like, you know, using these tools is, is like a gateway to interact with people. Totally. Or to get access into different spaces. Like you used to shoot punk shows for free because you had a camera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was uh, one of the main reasons why I got a fancy DSLR in the early 2000s was so that I could get into punk shows for free. Yeah. Like, yo, I'll take photos of your band if you let me get in here and, uh, you know, get in the show for free because I yeah. spend my money on beer than uh, tickets. And CDs were cheap, you know, so you just go in. And I had, like, this really sweet um, Photoshop preset that made the digital images look a little bit like film. <laughs> I just run that preset across all of the pictures and throw them on a CD. Boom, done. Yeah. Yeah, and then I got all like high and mighty on film. <laughs> now it's cheaper to just pay for the damn concert. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and also, like, if I'm going to go to a concert, I want to be able to enjoy it and, and check it out. Like, um, I saw Bad Religion a few years ago. And it was the first time that I went to a punk show and I got like mezzanine seating because I'm like, I want to sit 
and I want to watch Bad Religion, and I want to enjoy this because I may not go see Bad Religion again. But yeah. I want to, like, watch them perform and, like, sort of soak it in. And I don't want to be, like, obliterated and shit-based in the mosh pit, smashing into other people and be like, oh, is it the Bad Religion? It's like, what did they play? I have no fucking idea. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean... I guess we change a little bit as we get older. Priorities shift. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But I lost my train of thought now. Sorry, I feel like I've like been just a terrible chat person tonight because I've just been so groggy and out of sorts. Oh man, I think like there have been three instances where you've said that in like a almost three-hour conversation. So you're doing great. <laughs> That's fair. Um, thank you for tuning in, Julianne. It was very nice to see you. And like, definitely, if you want some cool art, if you want some cool um, merch to wear, um, hit up Foot to Face on the Instagrams. Yeah. She is also a most excellent DJ. If you like cool music to shake your booty to, check out DJ Foot to Face on Instagram. And, uh, yeah, she makes some rad music as well. So Nice. Thank you for tuning in, Julianne. Um, I think I might make some dinner now. Um, Probably a good idea. <laughs> Keepering out a little bit here. But, um, oh, wait. Morgan asks, what film school did you go to? Was it in Van? Uh, yeah, it was Capilano College, back when it was still a college. And then I went to... Um, Focal Point for some filler courses on photography after that. I never heard of Focal Point. It closed. Okay. <laughs> it was a great little school. It was out in Kits. Had two little studios in the basement uh, and then a bunch of little classrooms and a great dark room that you could rent for like $20 an hour or something. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, learned a lot. Met some really good people. Ian McGuffey, who you and I talked about, he was one of the teachers there. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. I'm just saying, so does Capilano still have a uh, photography program or did they? Um, I did film there. I did cinematography. I'm sure they have a photo program, but I have no idea what it's like. Okay. Yeah. But when I was there, there was like one big grotesque building that had a studio in it. And then the, all the film classrooms were in a bunch of stacked up portables. And shortly after I left, they got like one of the most state-of-the-art film studios in in Canada, probably. <laughs> it's beautiful. I worked on a short film there, and it was just like, oh man, I should have waited a few years. Man, that that's got to sting a little bit because you're just like, I could have spent time in here. But, yeah, right. Ah, wow. I got I got what I needed to get out of it. The teacher was great. Okay. Um, what was his name? Ross something. He was cool. He was uh, in with the skate scene in LA way back and was the guy who filmed, if any of you have seen Dogtown and Z-Boys or the documentary oh, yeah. about it, he shot the moment that Tony Alva first cleared the lip of a pool. Wow. So he won me over right away. And he filmed Never Ending Story. Boom. Coolest guy ever. Betray you. <laughs> exactly. 
Um, I, I was recently hearing a story from a, a friend that used to do stills on the Odyssey. Do you remember that one? I think so, yeah. It was interesting hearing him talk about child actors and how much dicks they are. Yeah, totally. And yeah. worse than the child actors are their, like, helicopter parents. Yeah, because they, they have to be there because the kids can't be there by themselves. But he was just like, the worst was they would have to stop at five. They weren't allowed to do any work past five. Yeah. And the kids would, like, fuck with the production crew by being like, oh, I need to study my lines. I need to study my lines. And then it's like, you know, 15 minutes to five. And they're like, oh, well, we're not going to be able to do a take in time. And, like, the whole production crew has been sitting there waiting for this asshole kid to just, like, do a couple of lines. Yep, totally. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad I'm not in that world anymore. <laughs> yeah, I tried to do stills once and hated it and never did it again. It was for, like, this terrible, terrible movie called Class Savage. It was bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, the a lot of child actors, so I did get to see that kind of, like, in, in action. And I was just like, yeah, I don't really... Like, this is kind of cool to, like, see the movie set thing and all that. But I'm like, this is not for me. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Money's great, though. Yeah. Money's good. Yeah. Yep. And movies are cool. Good movies. Yes. Good movies are great. Yep. Okay, before we wrap, top three favorite movies. Ooh. Paris, Texas. Ooh. Um, Color of Pomegranates. I've never heard of that one. It's an old Armenian film. Um, it's about the life of a poet and the guy who did it, whose name I can never remember, unfortunately. Uh, he ended up getting... So Armenia was part of Russia at the time, and they were like, hey, famous director of, from Armenia, can you make an amazing biopic about this famous Armenian poet so we can celebrate him? He was like, yeah, I'm going to do that. So he made this really out there conceptual piece, which is almost like a, almost the biography of the guy, almost um, portrait of an artist as a young man, a bunch of religious allegories, and then it's just like more tableaus than a narrative structure as well. And ended up getting put in jail because it was too radical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. The colors in it, the staging, it's like, it's really a work of art. It's a slow burn. Um, if you like electronic music, Nicholas Jar recently did a remix of the soundtrack or his own version of the soundtrack and that's up on YouTube. But I think the original, because the uh, guy who edited it and the composer worked side by side so that the rhythm of all the songs matches the cuts, matches the movement of the action in, on screen. It's just like, you're going to be hypnotized for like an hour and a half. That's so that's up there. <laughs> and then, um, who I watched, I've been watching mm -hmm. a bunch of good ones lately. I think a girl walks home at alone at night. It's, okay. um, I think it's Iranian. It's a vampire film done in the style of Westerns, black and white, slow burn again, just beautifully shot. And yeah, it's great. That's an excellent top three. Yeah. What about you? I feel like my movie choices are so much more basic. <laughs> I'm going to throw, I'm going to throw a number four in okay. the Fast and Furious franchise overall. <laughs> just watched Fast Nine the other night and it was great. <laughs> 
I mean, I don't understand why there had to be a franchise. Like, the <laughs> the first one, it was the movie we we never needed, but was great. Yeah. And then, yeah, I, I haven't been able to get into the rest of the franchise, but we have talked about this before. I do remember talking to both you and, and Monica about um, Too Fast, Too Furious. Yeah. Skip um, the second and third one and jump in at four. You'll, like, miss a few random plot points, but it doesn't matter because they jump cars between buildings, and it's amazing. Okay. Uh, um... <laughs> oh, man. So... Mine are kind of all over the map. So I was like a, a latchkey kid and grew up with, with TV for the most part. So it's like, I like a lot of like the 80s stuff. Um, planes, Trains, and Automobiles. It's like one of my favorites. Um, the Jerk. Um, also a great one. Um, the last remake of Bo Jest. I don't know it. Oh, that's so. It's it's a Marty Feldman uh, movie, and uh, Marty was a fantastic actor. Um, he was in Young Frankenstein with uh, with Gene Wilder. Yeah, yeah. Like he played uh, was it Igor? Yeah, in in Young Frankenstein. But the last remake of Bojest is ridiculous and and so so good. Um, and then. Oh, it's a tough one. Either Con Air or Face Off. Oh, man, Con Air and Face Off. But Con Air is amazing. <laughs> it's, it's so good. Like, yeah, like just so ridiculous. And then also, like, The Room. Yeah. It's so awful. Like, I, I made Becca watch it this week. She'd never seen it. And it was this was probably the best cut I've ever seen of it because it was like a free YouTube version that they cut out all the sex scenes and it doesn't ruin the movie. I think it makes it a little bit better because like the sex scenes are just so terrible mm. in the room. <laughs> like just unnatural. Um, but so many great one-liners in, in that movie. Yeah. 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 It's pretty amazing. Motion pictures are delusions. Still pictures are illusions. I mean, I kind of feel like it's all the devil's work in a way. So, um, you know, we're all going to hell. Yeah. But at least we'll be there together. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. On that note, I'm going to make some dinner now. Alrighty. Good chatting with you. This was great. Yeah, thank you so much for spending some time with me and, and with everyone else and for everyone uh, to jump in and uh, comment and interact with us. Yeah. Um, it's been it's been a lot of fun. Next week, I'm going to have uh, Bridget from Lomography uh, joining uh, to talk about some of her adventures with photography. So that'll be uh, a fun episode, I think. From the company Lomography? Yeah. So, cool. Cool. Um, yeah, she's uh, one of their main marketing people for Lomography US, and uh, she's from Austria originally, and nice. uh, she lives out in, I think, Brooklyn still. Uh, but yeah, we I, I got a chance to like connect with her last year. Um, I did a photo walk thing where they donated a couple of simple-use cameras, 
um, and we did like a photo walk with a couple people in, in Toronto and uh, reviewed the film and it was in Lomography online magazine and it was pretty cool. Nice. Very cool. Yeah. So it should be a fun one. So uh, stay safe out there, everyone. Um, you know, watch out for the Delta and uh, yeah, we'll catch you next week. Yeah. Keep taking photos, like, and subscribe. Smash that <laughs> icon. <laughs> What's up, guys? Thanks for tuning in. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll catch up soon, Alex. Yeah. All right. See you all. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.